0: Here in Telehell, we have a singular goal in mind: to seek out and call to the carpet some of the worst TV shows ever made. Of course, what some consider to be the worst TV shows of all time is strictly a matter of opinion. And Satan knows there are multiple opinions to be shared all over the universe. That being said, follow me as we travel all the way back to episode 18, when we covered a TV show called We Got It Made. TV, TV, TV. As derivative and as cliché as that show was, it still had a unique honor attached to itself. The fact that this show was the only new show of NBC's ill-fated 1983 Be There season to have been granted a second season of shows, albeit four years later and in syndication with a completely different look and feel, but it still counts. But what about the rest of the Peacock's perils that year? Could they truly have been as bad as people believe them to be over the years? As luck would have it, two of the biggest bombs the network would have that year wound up sharing the same night. And I can't think of a better way to start closing out the season.
1: I'm leaving! And now, it just never ends, does it? This...
0: Before we get to the subject, we can't really appreciate just how much of a boondoggle this season of television was without bringing you up to speed first. That in mind, it's time once again for. A Telehell History Lesson. To say that NBC's problems in the late 1970s are a part of the story is a given. In spite of the efforts of Fred Silverman, pretty much 90% of those efforts from 1978 to his resignation in January 1981 blew up in his face. A face that he ultimately saved by establishing his own production company and selling shows to networks instead of passively greenlighting them. But I digress. With Silverman out as network entertainment president and CEO... Somebody had to take his place. But with the network in dire straits by that point, RCA, then NBC's parent company, figured that this was a two-man job. The first man being appointed to the chairman position is no stranger to putting on quality programming.
2: Now he got his health under control. He was let go at NBC. Came out here, had to live through a couple of years of, you know... Negative thinking about him. And then he discovered what I call geriatric theater and television. And he discovered that you could bring back, you know, Perry Mason. And, uh, but he had about four of those shows, that, the demographics of which weren't too good, but they, but they were very
0: popular. Um, and, uh, and, and he reinvented himself. Grant Tinker, who in the 1960s married Mary Tyler Moore and also formed a joint venture production company with her while working for 20th Century Fox Television. That company was MTM Productions. And as we mentioned a little while ago, this was a company that helped bring to life such TV staples as Mary's self-titled sitcom, The Bob Newhart Show, WKRP, Rhoda, and perhaps more significantly by 1981, a show called Hill Street Blues. Significant because at the absolute nadir of NBC's problems by the winter of 1981, Hill Street Blues was the one show on the network that garnered any critical acclaim, let alone decent ratings. In fact, there were times when the show wound up gathering all the critical acclaim amongst all the networks, even though the show initially had low ratings when it premiered. We're not saying that the success of this show is the reason why Grant Tinker was named chairman of NBC in 1981, but it would seem like anything less than a coincidence if there wasn't a connection between the two. NBC hired Tinker because he had a track record in putting on quality shows. Someone else who had a track record, not as big as Tinker's, but on his way to having one of his own, was the man NBC had hired to head up their entertainment division. Ladies and gentlemen,
2: our boss, Brandon Tartikoff. In case
0: you're wondering, I'm Brandon Tartikoff,
3: president of NBC Entertainment.
0: If Fred Silverman is considered Telehel's patron saint, Brandon Tartikoff should be a saint, period for he is long credited as the reason why NBC began to change its fortunes for the better in the 1980s. Already working at the network since the mid-70s, Tartikoff was seen as a boy wonder of TV programming. One who could read the tea leaves, so to speak, in trying to figure out the best ways to outperform the other networks while trying to avoid airing copycats of existing shows. Or, at least that would be the case later on in the 80s, because in the 70s... Well... Nobody's Perfect. Here's a partial list of shows that Tartakov may have lent a hand in helping get on the air. On Turnabout, a little magic made Penny and Sam switch bodies.
3: I am in your body and you're in mine. I think I may die. Then it's Hello Larry. His fans listen, but his teenage daughters don't. He's got a band? Yeah, because calls it his Rassel Castle.
2: Premiering Friday, January 26th. Friday, Zipper's dad pays a visit. I'm here to talk about your dreams.
0: (laughs) On Brothers and Sisters. Then, how would you feel if you had a chance to win a million?
2: Just this one time. Let me win the big one. I
3: think maybe I'll go around the world.
0: Who will win on sweepstakes? Right after Brothers and Sisters, Friday, starting at 9, 8 central on NBC. But to be fair, he was still young at the time and still trying to figure out how network TV worked back then. Because in 1981, at the age of 32... Tartikoff was named the youngest ever president of NBC's entertainment division. Tinker and Tartikoff did what they could to make NBC watchable again in 1981. Unfortunately, there was still some Silverman residue by the time that year's fall offerings were unveiled. So, they focused their energies on what was right with their schedule, their existing successes in Different Strokes and The Facts of Life, Season 2 of Hill Street Blues, plus the premieres of Late Night with David Letterman, the sitcom Giving a Break, and a TV adaptation of the movie Fame. In spite of the silver linings, NBC was still in third place, but Reconstruction was on its way.
2: We're NBC! Just watch us! NBC. You love us!
0: By 1982, all the critical acclaim NBC's shows got the previous season resulted in an uptick in Emmy Awards, as well as this blurb that they felt they needed to tell the entire country. This is NBC, the network that swept the Emmys. We feel the need to point out, however, that ABC actually won the most Emmys in 1982, with a total of eight. NBC actually tied with CBS that year, winning seven. But considering how much rebuilding the network needed to do, they'll take the wins wherever they could find one. The new programs they had scheduled for the 1982 season brought new meaning to the term Diamonds in the Rough. Shows like Family Ties, Remington Steel, Silver Spoons, Knight Rider the A-team, and a little upstart called Cheers would help repave NBC's Rocky Road. Add the World Series and also that big football game to the mix that season, and NBC wound up pretty much in the same position as 1981. But there were some nights when it would flip back and forth between second and third place. Still, though, the Peacock was not to be deterred. Already armed with more critically acclaimed hits and Emmy wins, NBC at least had a durable backup squad on the air in case anything else they put on the following season wound up facing a misfortune. In fact, so confident NBC was in their nine new offerings for the 1983-84 season that even the executives at parent company RCA felt like nothing could go wrong. Here now is a dramatization of how one of those RCA executives felt about the whole thing.
1: Three misfortunes, that's possible. Seven misfortunes, there's an outside chance. But nine misfortunes,
0: I'd like to see that. We've already covered one misfortune two years ago with We Got It Made. And of the eight other shows NBC thought would catapult them to the top of the ratings that year, the following, believe it or not, is the tale of one of the better offerings that the network had that season. One that was created by two men named Larry. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bert Bacharach. What the
2: world needs now is love, sweet
0: love. First, Larry Tucker who jumps back and forth between working in TV and in movies as a writer and producer. Among some of his more noteworthy efforts was Danny Kaye's Variety Show, a developer role in the original 1960s version of The Monkees. And, if this song in the background isn't already a hint, Tucker was also one of the Oscar-nominated co-writers of the movie Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, which also wound up with a short-lived TV adaptation in 1973. It was during the production of that series where Tucker would team up with the second Larry in this story, Larry Rosen, After a few one-season wonders of his own, plus being the producer of the Partridge family, the two Larrys would team up on a number of projects through the rest of the 70s and part of the 80s, including a handful of TV movies and also some one-season wonders like Mr. Merlin and Teachers Only. Although both Larrys' efforts lasted a season or less, they, not unlike NBC, were also not to be deterred. And the idea they had for 1983 would, at the very least... Be unique, even though the idea had technically been done before. There he goes again.
2: Up's a daisy toppy.
3: Say, George. Huh? We can't go down the lobby like this. we cause a
0: riot. Fay.
2: Okay. Don't teeter, Topper.
0: If you remember episode 15, then you not only know about Eric Idle's sitcom Nearly Departed, but more importantly, you also know that the idea for that show was more or less a retread of the movie and TV adaptation of Topper. Long story short, ghosts haunt a guy, guy helps ghosts, ghosts help him, and the circle of afterlife is complete with hilarious results. Simply put, the two Larrys put their own spin on Topper, but... A different enough one so that nobody needed to get sued. Instead of a high-society couple haunting an average Joe, the two Larrys' version would involve a formerly living Hollywood starlet, whose end came when, and I quote from Wikipedia, She made the unfortunate mistake of chasing an ice cream truck near her home. When the ice cream truck accidentally backed up, it ran her over, killing her. Six years later, the Elliott family moved from New York City into the deceased's home. The father was a lawyer who handled the deceased's posthumous affairs, including the house. His wife was a concerned and understanding figure. Their daughter was a typical wisecracking eight-year-old. And the driving story behind the series was that this ghost, named Jennifer, haunted the Elliott house ostensibly to mentor and befriend the family's teenage son, Joey, who, as these stories go, was the only person to whom she made herself visible. During the series, however, she does make herself visible in at least one episode. Naturally, Joey had a hard time convincing his family and friends of Jennifer's ghostly existence, end quote. You know, that old story... But to be fair to everybody involved, at least this ghost wouldn't wind up reincarnated as a 1928 Porter automobile. In an effort to give the show at least some credibility, the two Larrys hired a pretty durable cast, starting with a lady who played the specter-to-be who just happened to be coming off of a breakout role. Life's
2: the French Riviera.
0: It's a Living was an underappreciated gem that depicted single women in the workplace fighting for their ambitions while waitressing in skimpy outfits at a hotel in Los Angeles. Part of the reason people tuned in during the show's first two seasons on ABC may have had something to do with the Deborah Harry-looking blonde that was stealing the scenes.
3: I dated a pilot once. You dated everything once. Have you dated anyone twice? (laughs) Yeah, once. (laughs) Who is this guy, St. Francis?
0: After spending years as a child actor, Anne Gillian found her breakout role in 1980 as Cassie Cranston, the waitress who was quick with a quip and had an even quicker libido. Why should
3: I mind? Last night I got my teeth cleaned for free.
0: In spite of her being eye candy, the show still wound up cancelled in 1982, although the show wouldn't actually see success until it was revived for four more years of first-run syndication in 1985. Between those years, however, Jillian continued to make a living, most notably in a TV biopic on Mae West and also a supporting role in Mr. Mom with Michael Keaton. Knowing when to strike while the iron was hot, the two Larrys hired Jillian to play Jennifer Farrell, the doomed starlet who probably should have bought her ice cream at a store like normal people. The rest of the cast was just as durable as Jillian, including Georgia Engel from The Mary Tyler Moore Show, playing the mother to the Elliott family long-time character actor Brandon Maggart playing the father, and Glenn Scarpelli, from the later seasons of the original One Day at a Time, playing Mark, the friend and neighbor to the other lead character in our show, Joey, played by John Maven. I was born a poor black child. Not Naven Johnson. More specifically, John P. Naven Jr., another up-and-coming child actor who already appeared in a number of small roles on NBC sitcoms, most notably in the opening scene for the pilot episode of a future NBC classic.
3: How about a beer, Chief? <laughs> How
0: about an ID?
3: An ID?
0: Uh.
3: <laughs> That's very flattering. <laughs> Wait till I tell the missus.
0: You would think that with a cast like that, writers who used to work for Gary Marshall sitcoms and a theme song performed by a singer of iconic TV theme song status, at the very least, this show could have attained cult hit status. Except for two problems that the show had before it even started. Most notably, this.
2: The, way, the only way they know how.
0: And this. For whatever reason, NBC thought this show had what it took to take down an established hit in the Dukes of Hazard on CBS and an up-and-coming hit with Webster on ABC. But NBC was not worried. After all, this show might have stood a chance if the show that led into it also had a pretty strong following. Unfortunately, NBC made that scheduling decision with a blindfold, a dartboard, ...and a linoleum
2: knife. Friday's Mr. Smith going out of his tree. He will be an ordinary orangutan again by the end of the week. Unless Ellie can save him from going ape. Then Mom spooks Jennifer when she drops in from the grave. Time to get down and boogie. But it a seance, Joey's idea of a good time on Jennifer's Left Here, Friday.
0: So, yeah, it looks like NBC pretty much went out of its way to exercise a ghost that it put on the air in the first place. And now, so will we.
1: After the break. <sighs>
3: Someone's come for a nutritious breakfast. What? Oh, hello, my name is Boo. <laughs> Let me finish. Booberry, my ghostly good blueberry-flavored cereal, Booberry, <laughs> is part of this complete breakfast. Who Boo Boo
2: you, you Booberry?
3: Frankenberry's got strawberry-flavored marshmallows. Caltrocula's got chocolate marshmallows. But I've got blueberry-flavored marshmallows. Frankenberry. Caltrocula. <laughs> and Booberry. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: This week on Telehealth's premium content of the day. Hey, ladies. Enjoying the
0: film? Of course not. Because this is our movie! And Dr. Pepper 10 is our soda. It's only 10 manly calories, but with all 23 flavors of Dr. Pepper. It's what guys want, like this!
1: Catchphrase! So you can keep the romantic comedies and lady drinks. We're good.
0: Dr. Pepper 10, it's not for
2: women! <laughs>
1: The only way to listen to Telehell's premium content of The Damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Podcast For just a few bucks a month, you can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash Podcast. And now... Back to this week's Torture. October 21st,
0: 1983. Ronald Reagan tries to undo all the inflationary recession that he caused in his first two years in office. Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler was at the top of the charts. And at 8.30, 7.30 Central... The haunting sounds of a former human being lures us in with her inviting tones.
2: Hello. It's me. And only you can see me. I just saw the most beautiful ghost in the world.
0: Not to mention more proof to my life and death long theory that bad TV shows either have a good title sequence or a good theme song. More the latter in this case because who else but Joey Scarberry would be belting out this tune? Wait, you don't know who Joey Scarberry is? (laughs) He's only the singer of the greatest TV theme song of all time. While this particular theme song has some inane lyrics and pales a little in comparison to The Greatest American Heroes, at least the theme song to this show is a lot better than the visuals, which I can only describe as bland, beige, and the kind of penciled caricatures I wouldn't even get from a sidewalk vendor. Act 1 begins with the Elliott family moving into Jennifer's house. And as is the case when people make a big move someplace, there will undoubtedly be some reservations about it.
3: I didn't show you what I found in the closet.
2: Would you throw that out?
3: George's autograph. To Guido. Thank you for the roses, love, Jennifer.
2: We know what she did for the roses. George,
3: Jennifer Farrell was a legend. Jennifer Farrell was a tramp.
0: As a picture drops at the mere mention of her past promiscuity, and just a heads up, that is going to be one of many running gags that doesn't see any advancement during the show's run, we get to meet our boy, Hero, as he, stop me if you've heard this one, whines and moans about wanting to move back from whence he came. And yes, I will use whence in this case.
3: You having a tough time? I'm just not into these California kids. You know, there's a girl in my class who owns a Mercedes. Isn't she
2: a little young to drive?
3: Not a car, Mom, a dealership. If the formal guy asks me how it feels to live in Jennifer Fowle's house, I'm going to run him down with my bike. You don't have a bike? Then we'll just have to buy him one.
0: But just as the kid has some misgivings, we then get to meet somebody who's making an after living. But not before some wacky gags involving the opening and closing of a window.
2: Hold it. I love this. When the first star vanished, the heavens
3: glowed a little less (laughs)
2: brightly. The heavens glowed a little
3: less brightly. Don't you just love it? (laughs) Who are you and what are you doing in my house? My name is Jennifer Farrell, and this is my house. Jennifer Farrell died five years ago. I know. I'm a ghost. (laughs) Uh,
0: Hang on a second. I need a drink. Two shows to go in this season. You can do this. Now that I'm slightly buzzed, maybe I can take this show a little more seriously. Especially now that we've reached another inevitability in ghost-related media, the kid trying to convince people that the ghost that he's seeing is real. Hey, Dad. Don't you look like Jennifer
3: Farrell? Doesn't who look
2: like Jennifer Farrell? Heard
3: of the The tramp, George, remember? <laughs> uh, that. I'm looking at a woman who's told me she's a ghost. I wouldn't tell him that if I were you. He's gonna do your room in rubber wallpaper.
0: More, please.
3: Ugh. Right. Hi. Who are you and what are you doing in my house? I told you I'm a ghost. Yeah, and I don't bite.
2: All right.
1: What do you need? What floor? Your closet's a mess. More, please, more. Oh.
0: The drunker I am, the more I can appreciate how stupid this is. As we now introduce ourselves to Ghost Boy's Neighbor... Or at least Ghost Boy introduces him before he actually appears.
3: Oh yeah, I'm meeting new people. How about the kid next door, Mark? You know how they sell maps to the movie star's homes? He sells keys.
0: <laughs> and while we get to meet Mark later, the parents are starting to wonder if their kid needs to be shacked up in the wacko basket as Jennifer materializes once again. Who's Joey talking to? Yeah, ding, ding,
3: ding, ding. Come over here. A lady is calling from New York. Doctor. She's not paying to hear me argue with you, so would you mind just doing your nails somewhere else? Your son's talking to a lamp.
2: I love lamp. Do you really love the lamp, or are you just saying it because you saw it?
3: I love lamp. What if I said his imaginary friend might be Jennifer Farrell? I'd say your son has very good taste. <laughs> with a lousy actress,
0: she'll make a lousy friend. Picture frame gag number two complete As we see the kid complaining that his room had just been cleaned up by a G-G-G-Ghost You grind my drawers
3: <laughs> I am too, your sweat socks were eating through the cedar Don't believe this knew I was talking to a ghost, she'd have a stroke So what do you hear from Casper? <laughs> I hate that kind of humor
0: yeah, Present company included Surely, this ghost has to be haunting the kid for some reason other than the fact that he's occupying her house. But those reasons are going to have to wait, as we now formally meet the kid's new neighbor, Mark. And on behalf of the entire underworld and internet, at the count of three, say what we're all thinking. You ready? One, two, three... I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. her. I, did I did not. Oh, my god. <laughs> I love it when gags write themselves. Listen,
3: a group of us are going down to the beach. Want to come along? Yeah, ought to go. You could choose the color. I don't think so. You don't think so? I'm having a party Friday night at my house. Could I interest you in that? I don't know. Oh, am to the party? You butt <laughs> out. I was just asking. And besides, I'm over here. <laughs> look mark i'm kind of busy you're also kind of weird thanks for the loan and next time i'm over i'd love to meet your chair are you boring i got more life than me and i'm dead
1: yeah well so am i what's your point you think we're viewing crappy tv shows as a life It's, it's not even an afterlife I'm being forced to do this because hell has this weird thing about ironic punishments that... Please stand by while our host regains his sanity. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just, the afterlife is a bit of a sore spot for me. And sitting through this show, it just feels like a bunch of old wounds being reopened. Particularly the internal bleeding my organs felt when I got electrocuted and... Please stand by while our host regains his sanity. Then again, maybe I am a little bitter about ghosts. Because frankly, I wish I was one instead of being trapped here in hell. At least ghosts get to fly around the world, possess people, even haunt them. But me? I wanted to watch one boxing match that I couldn't afford to buy, so I crossed a couple wires in my cable box, and for some reason that's considered bad enough to be placed down here. Please stand by while our host regains his sanity.
0: But I digress. As Jennifer continues justifying her otherworldly existence.
3: You want to help me, right? Right. You got powers. Bring them in here. Powers? I go away, I come back. I'm a ghost, not a travel agent. <laughs> now you help You gave me a terrific idea. Idea? What's the idea? Don't you have a small movie lot you could haunt?
2: <laughs> you
3: don't want to answer my question, but don't answer it. But cheap shots get me real mad. You can disappear. I can't. You
0: don't play fair.
3: We're beginning to understand each other.
0: Okay. I don't think a drink of booze is going to be enough to help me get through this, so... Fire up
1: the hose. I'm
0: on fire! Hurry out! me out! out! I totally forgot that being served alcohol at a place that's 99% fire is a bad idea. And why is there a fire extinguisher down here anyway? Act 2 begins with a kid planning on hopping a flight back to New York to see the girl that he misses. But our lady ghost is having none of that. Joey,
3: it's wonderful to care about somebody, but do you know what's even more wonderful? What? what? To care about two somebodies. Huh. A sick i I'm a We all have the capacity to love more than one person. <laughs> oh, my father mentioned your capacity. <laughs> your father's <is> a cucumber. <laughs>
0: And the award for the stupidest insult I've ever heard in a TV show now has a new front runner. It's not the same as Joel Gray calling J.R. Ewing a rhesus monkey, but still. Cucumber? That's the best you could do? do your parents know about this? I'm going to call
3: from
0: the airport. Oh, that's very thoughtful of you. That way you won't have to look at your mother's face when she's <laughs> You're not
3: going. Try and
0: stop me. Which she does through... Satan, help me. WACKY SLAPSTICK SLASH LOW-BUDGET GREEN-SCREENED PRACTICAL AND SPECIAL EFFECTS Which I'm sure looked okay for a 1980s TV show, but would make a first-year film student at UCLA feel much better about themselves. And since this is one of those visual moments, please take the time to look at it as a part of this week's promo on our YouTube page.
3: Tooth. Where? <laughs> Please, let me go. Look, let me go right now. Let me out. You're about to start to get on my
0: nerves. To to on my nerves. Let, me let me down. Just then, Mark comes back. Oh, hi, Mark.
3: Check this out. This was leaning against the guacamole dip. Ring the Joey immediately. So, here it is. It's not mine.
0: For the visually impaired, Mark brings the kid over a random shoe. Why a shoe? Because it makes about as much sense as anything happening in this show right now. Meanwhile, the kid has just about reached his last nerve with a ghost that he wants to bust. Unfortunately, that movie wouldn't come out until the next year, so now Jennifer tries to bring the kid down to earth a little. Did you
3: tell Enderman you were coming? No. Why not? I'm surprise her. Or maybe you were afraid she'd tell you not to come.
0: Did she say that?
3: Joey, she's going on with her life. Now, I'm sure she thinks about you and cares about you a lot, but she also knows you're 3,000 miles away. Now, how do you make that work when you're 14 years old? Well, we can write talk on the phone and you have to get another somebody or two or six (laughs) i got a confession to make i know when you look at me only one word comes to mind swinger (laughs) don't let my hot image deceive you debbie linderman's the only woman i've ever been with
0: A very touching and poignant moment, I'm sure. Say, do you know what's been
1: missing from this show? Any kind of justification as to what the here is happening! I mean, aside from the ghost lady being there because she used to live in the same house as the kid, has any kind of establishment taken place that involves... Why she wants to help this kid, or what her ultimate end goal is, or how, aside from convenient real estate, she got involved with being the kid's hyper-sex Jiminy Cricket.
0: But i digressed more than I possibly could in this show, so please, let's wrap this up like a ghost wearing a bedsheet. After a somewhat lengthy sequence where Jennifer is using one of her old movies as a metaphor for why the kid should stay put in L.A., the kid stays put in L.A. And we also find out that the reason for the mysterious shoe earlier in the show is... You better ask you that.
3: Somebody named Joey live here? Yeah, it's me. Hi, I'm Cassidy. I don't know why, but Mark thought you might have my other shoe. Oh, somebody sent it to me by mistake. Hey! You don't just hand a woman a shoe. <laughs> what? I like my shoe. Joey, look at her. What about her? What about my shoe? Would you open your eyes? She's a knockout. She's already smiled at you twice. My shoe, please. May
2: I? Thank you.
1: <laughs>
0: So, let's recap. A ghost steals a girl's shoe. A neighbor kid brings the shoe over for no discernible reason. And then, minutes later, the girl who, by the way, may have at most one minute of
1: screen time comes over to retrieve her shoe and instantly falls for the kid because of it, even though in her point of view, the kid, who by the way is talking to a fucking ghost, is talking to no one. And the girl seems to like him anyway? Pardon me for a second.
0: Alright, where did I put it? Where did I put that thing... Now it's here somewhere. Really gotta clean that up. Uh, ah, here it is. Okay, shitcom. You have exactly two minutes to save yourself. Otherwise, I don't care how many streams I have to cross to get you there. You're going in this ghost trap.
3: You know, for a while there, I actually thought Joey was talking to the ghost of Jennifer Farrell. Joey talking to ghosts? Even if it was a committee choosing ghosts, you'd never pick a bimbo like her.
0: Well, of course, jokes, not unlike celebrity deaths, have to come in threes. So, I'll give them a mulligan there. How do we wrap this up?
3: You staged a major production just to keep me from going to New York. So? Uh, but a guy says thank you. At uh, Alfred, you gotta have a drink of me. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Take that as a compliment. Why are you in it? (laughs) You said you were going to the beach? You mean everywhere I go, everything I do, you're going to be there? I'm going to be there. I don't like it, it. Farrell. what's not to like. All you have to do is be on your toes 24 hours a day for the
2: rest of your life. It's not fair. Hold it. And it was written
3: of Jennifer Farrell that when her star vanished, the heavens glowed a little less brightly.
0: Oh, I just love that part. Okay, okay, sappy sitcom ending, nothing worth lighting up a proton pack over- Oh, who the- here am I kidding! Go!
3: <laughs> okay, hold him up there, he's gonna move, hold him up! Go! <laughs> we just streamed off as soon as I caught the trap, get ready, I'm closing it, now! <laughs>
0: I have always wanted to do that. And since I'm already dead, I didn't have to worry about Total Protonic Reversal. Anyway, this show sucked, and here's why.
1: Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery...
0: Jennifer Slept Here felt like so many photocopies of previously existing shows that the paper it was printed on would have wound up translucent thanks to the recycling of tired, overworked sitcom tropes, many of which were derived from both the movie and TV versions of Topper in the 30s and 50s, making it an instant mark for both fraud and heresy. To say nothing of the fact that ghosts themselves are spirits who are seeking out the next plane of existence, so by the most figurative of terms, this show is eligible for Limbo even though all of their regularly scheduled episodes did in fact air. But the saddest thing about this show is that if you squint real hard, there may have been a good show somewhere among the muck and the mire. I've looked at the episode guide for this show, and in spite of a few episodes with some seemingly decent cameos from the likes of Debbie Reynolds, Zelda Rubinstein from the Poltergeist movies and even Anne Gillian's former It's a Living co-star, Gail Edwards. None of the episodes mention anything close to character development, save for a handful where you kinda, sorta get to see the extent of Jillian's powers. But other than that, there is no purpose for this ghost to be here other than to create shenanigans. At least with Topper and Nearly Departed, the endgame there was for the ghost to do a good deed for the person that they're haunting so they can move on to the next plane of existence. Here? poof, Ghost! Just... there! It's almost as though they knew they weren't going to make it past 13 episodes, so why bother putting in the effort? I'm, I'm sorry for rambling about this particular point, but I cannot stand it when TV shows are this lazy. So much so that I wish Sloth was an official circle of hell. But no, it had to be a regular deadly sin. Thank you very much, Purgatory. Anyway, so much recycling and plot holes that you could fill mass graves with that those who did watch the show may have felt a sense of frustration over the how and why of the whole thing. I don't care how escapist it is. It would have been nice to see what Jennifer's overall purpose was aside from giving the kids some life advice. But that kind of laziness just pisses me off. Almost wrathfully, if you will. Especially when there are notably talented people involved. (laughs) to say nothing of the fact that they clearly capitalize on Angellian Snark and especially lustful sex appeal to try to lure in certain viewers. A gambit that failed to pay off, considering that the show wound up ranked as the number 89th TV show of that season. But then again, the show had both the Dukes of Hazzard and Webster to contend with. But as writer Tom Enson of the Toledo Blade newspaper stated in his own critique of the show, quote, It wasn't funny, it wasn't witty, and it doesn't stand a ghost of a chance, end quote. And I'm glad he said that instead of me because I think we've had enough tired clichés around here for one day. Jennifer slept here earns 5 out of 9 circles of hell. And that's all I'm going to say about the show, because just in case you're curious about the rest of the shows on NBC's lineup for the 1983 season, I'll give you a quick rundown, since most of these shows are not available to be seen or reviewed, or, if they are seen, they don't quite fall under our standards of review for review. So let's review. First, The Yellow Rose which, based on the promos I've seen, looks like clone number 346 of the show Dallas, but without the oil. And in spite of a pre-moonlighting Sybil Shepherd in it, it was one of the few shows that made it to a full season ending in May of 1984. Bay City Blues actually is on YouTube, and for the most part, it does look somewhat decent, especially since Stephen Bochco is behind it. Unfortunately, there's a fine line between decent and dull, so it's probably something that we'd never review on principle. As is the case with the Rousters, the tale of carnival folk slash bounty hunters who are descendants of Wyatt Earp, one of whom is played by a pre earnest Jim Varney, putting in more effort here than he ever would on Pink Lady and Jeff. Unfortunately, the show was scheduled opposite the Love Boat, so it never really had a chance. Boone, I know next to nothing about since they don't even have a Wikipedia entry. And based on the few promos I could find, it seems like your typical boilerplate story of a country boy trying to find ambitions as a country singer, even though his family doesn't approve. You know, that other old story? There was also For Love and Honor, the tale of army paratroopers that might have been okay if viewers didn't tune in to the shows that ran opposite. Pretty much any show that tried to stand up against CBS on a Friday night that year got killed in the ratings, and this show was no exception no matter how good the intentions were. And then, finally, an aforementioned show that I actually wish was able to review, if only because it carries on the tradition of flop TV shows whose star just happens to be a monkey.
2: I hate the
3: promos, don't you? So if you'd like to hear more about my new show, Mr. Smith... Uh, call me at 1-900-40-SMITH, uh, uh, and uh, I'll tell you all about it. All right. You
2: think
0: people are really going to call? This, too, seems to only have promos of it existing. But believe it or not, in the 1980s, when you think people have started to cultivate their own brain cells, NBC thought people would be interested in watching a show about a super-intelligent monkey trying to solve the world's problems. Unfortunately for NBC, they seem to have forgotten that we were already given Lancelot Link one time, and that was enough. So there you have it. Eight TV shows that NBC thought would bring them back to prominence once and for all, when all they did was raise more questions than answers. But before you chime in with one of those actuallys... Yes... We know damn well that we said that NBC had nine new shows that were offered for the 1983 TV season. That's because we need to save our strength for this next one. A show that NBC seemed to want to place all of its eggs in the basket for for that
1: season. A show that, in their view, was destined to become... The action show of the 1980s. A show that, in the opinions of the powers that be, felt was going to be NBC's signature TV program for 1983. Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come.
0: Next time on Telehel, our season four finale can be summed up in just one word.
1: Malibu. Until then. If it's not in Telehel, it's not worth a damn. The part
0: of the Please Stand By Guy was played by Rob Maurer. Now that everybody is getting mysterious chemicals injected into their arms, that can only mean one thing. It's almost safe to socialize with people again. So why not get a head start on that and follow us on our social feeds, Twitter and Facebook, both at Podcast. By the way, shows like these aren't cheap. Do what you can, and can what you do, at Patreon.com slash Podcast.